for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 142, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. I interview child and adolescent experts to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do so that you can be the parent you really want to be. No topic is off limits. So if there's a subject you'd like discussed, let me know. Again, these podcasts are for you. At the end of each one, I'll give you three points to ponder that are takeaways so you have something to practice right away. Remember, subscribe to the PGK podcast. Every episode contains the most up-to-date, professional help on a variety of issues. PGK is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Store. If you feel like any of these PGK podcasts encourage you or give you insight into your kids or your parenting, you have to check out our private community, Parenting Great Kids online community. You can ask me any question and I will personally answer you. You can chat with other parents struggling with the same issues you have. Once you join, you'll have free access to every course I've ever created. Check it out. Go to meekerparenting.com and click on the link PGK community on the front page. Today, I have two special guests joining me. They're brothers, Alex and Stephen Kendrick. Alex and Stephen have dedicated their lives to following Jesus Christ and making his truth and love known among the nations. They both write, speak, and produce Christian films with their brother, Shannon. Alex directed and Stephen produced the movies Overcomer, War Room, Courageous, Fireproof, Facing the Giants, and Flywheel. They also co-wrote the New York Times best-selling books, The Love Dare, The Resolution for Men, and The Battle Plan for Prayer. They've been interviewed by Fox and Friends, CNN, ABC World News Tonight, and they serve on the boards of the Fatherhood Co-Mission and the Christian Film Foundation. Their latest movie is Show Me the Father. And it opens in theaters on September 10th. This movie is going to be the subject of our interview today. Now, the Kendrick brothers have served in ministry over 20 years, and they're also filmmakers. I've asked them for their perspective, and so they're going to be bringing in a spiritual side, a filmmaking side, and a personal side to this conversation. I want you now to listen in on a great conversation I had with Alex and Stephen Kendrick. I know you're really going to love this. Well, Alex and Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. It's good to be with you. Our pleasure. Thank you. You have a fabulous movie, Show Me the Father, and um, it's all about fathers, and it tells stories of different stories in the movie. And, you know, often when we hear people talk about, write about um, father issues, it's often from men who didn't have a father or somebody who are continuing to live that pain of not having a dad, but you have a dad. So how 
did this get put on your heart to write about fathers? Well, um, our father had a huge impact on our lives growing up. He was a hero to us. And um, we saw him, though, really break the chain of dysfunction of mm -hmm. fathers onto their children. His father and grandfather were not good dads. Uh, mm -hmm. There was alcoholism. There was dysfunction there unfaithfulness in the marriage. And so our dad grew up in poverty because his dad would uh, spend money on alcohol rather than taking care of the family. And uh, our dad dealt with identity issues, depression, insecurities. And uh, but he made a resolution. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God and we're going to do things the right way. And that decision really changed our family tree. And we grew up watching a dad really involved, really trying, even though he was driving in the dark, trying to figure out what does it mean to have a good dad. And so mm -hmm. uh, this is an issue that's very personal to us. And now I have six children. Alex has six children. So we're daily uh, living the roller coaster adventure of fathering, teaching, leading, loving on our kids. And so we realize how epic it is because it really is an issue tied to our hearts, our own father story. Mm -hmm. It is epic, but it's unusual that a father or a man in that generation, not that you guys are terribly old, but <laughs> that a father in your dad's generation would share that amount with you because often fathers who were struggling, who had depression, who had all these different kind of things would just try to change and they wouldn't really share it and they would just sort of go forward. So to me, it's unusual that your dad divulged all of that hurt to you boys. I, I would say that didn't come initially. Mm -hmm. um, as, as you've alluded to, um, a lot of it was internal for, for years. And so when my dad was um, relating to us when we were adults mm. is when that began to come out. We have a strong friendship with our father and not just look at him as a dad, but we, he is a, a dear counselor and friend to us as well. So as we talked to him, and especially as he began to understand the uh, the paths to healing, not only from God's word, but even um, psychologically, how do you process all of that? He began talking to us. And so um, those conversations were handled delicately and with, uh, you know, you have to face it with a lot of maturity as well. And so it wasn't just like, stuff that he easily related. It, it came over over time, but how beautiful to be able to work through it, to um, give it to the Lord and to watch what the Lord has done. So how old were you? Well, I'm trying to piece together your growing up. So when did your father realize, I mean, really realize that he had to make a change here? Was it when you were young? Was it when you were teenagers? Was it when you were adult men? Well, all the pain that he went through growing up, uh, longing for his father's affirmation and not getting it, uh, longing for a sense of who he is. You know, dad was like, who am I? What am I good at? Uh, he said he didn't learn to swim till he was in college because his dad never taught him. Uh, our dad dealt with depression issues uh, a lot growing up, just uh, a lot of fear and and really hating himself to a certain degree. Low self-esteem. Yeah, low yeah. self-esteem. And so um, the things that he was longing for, he turned around and started pouring in those things to us. And I, I've told people some of the best dads I know in the world, 
actually grew up with bad dads themselves, but they forgave and they said, I'm going to be the dad I wished I had had for my children. And so Mm -hmm. our dad would bless us because he longed for a blessing growing up. He would give us spiritual leadership and direction and pray over us because he longed for his dad to do that. Uh, to him. Uh, He would be affectionate with us because he longed for his dad. His dad was seven feet tall Mm -hmm. and uh, was an alcoholic and was oftentimes just gone. And when he did come home, he was intoxicated a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so he was very intimidating. And so our dad was, you know, afraid of him in some ways, but he didn't feel like he could crawl up into his lap and and share his heart with him and and get the comfort and identity that he longed for. Mm -hmm. So how did your father's depression, low self-esteem, and so forth affect you as boys growing up? I would say initially he tried to shield us from it. Uh, I remember I was 14 and 15 when he began dealing with depression. And basically it came because as he was facing the early ramifications of having multiple sclerosis, he did not want to be a burden to the family. You know, and he's looking at the finances of caring with someone over a long period of time, what my mom would have to do, what we would have to do. And he felt terrible. And from a human standpoint, that's totally understandable. It was when he began looking at it through a spiritual standpoint that everything started to change. And so Mm -hmm. he went into my older brother's room and he told the Lord, doctors are telling me it's only going to get worse. Um, I can't work the way I used to work. I don't want to drag my family down. Uh, I don't want to be a burden to them. MS sometimes is very slow, but progressive. So it's not like things would rapidly decline. They would happen a slow degrade over years. And my dad said, Lord, please either take me home or heal me. Well, the first Mm. thing the Lord did was reminded my dad that he loved him, Mm. that he was worth um, seeking, worth Uh, praying to, worth depending on. And the first thing we saw healing in was his spirit, just his his inner sense that God loves me, sees me, knows me, knows what I'm going through and can sustain me. And we saw a dramatic change in his outlook on life first. And that was the first healing that took place. Next, uh, physically, he did not go downhill as fast as doctors were telling him he would. He said, as long as I can move to any degree, uh, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have in the time I I can. He started a Christian school that's how many years? 25, 27 years old now? Pushing 30 now. Yeah. And and which is, it was still going It's healthy. He's graduated so many hundreds of kids with a great education and, and a broader outlook on life than just what the world would teach you. And so he's done so much. And it was because of that, that we believed that we could make feature films one day. If my dad can start a school and grow it to hundreds of, at one point it was three different locations, hundreds of students, Mm -hmm. then if he can do that, then can we not make a feature film and begin doing that, even though we had not been to film school. And so those hurdles in his life turned into things that amplified his effectiveness and therefore rubbed off on us as well. You know, I love that story. I mean, you really do have an unusual story because it seems when you talk to people about their fathers, they either, you know, angst shows up on their face because they never had a dad or, you know, they go, well, you know, my, my child who was fine, my dad was around. But 
for somebody to see a huge transformation in this enormous figure in your life is testimony because you saw it with your eyes that when God changes somebody he doesn't mess around Mm -hmm. that's right and and he he even i'm amazed at the hurdles that he sometimes will use i believe god could heal my dad of multiple sclerosis but what that perspective brought to us you know life is going to have hurdles it's going to have speed bumps it's going to have brick walls from time to time and when we saw that our dad could accomplish so much from a wheelchair and now even from a hospital bed, the way he counsels, the way he prays, the, the way he um, blesses and encourages other people. It is amazing. And when people see my father doing all of that, even from a hospital bed or something, you know, for a few hours, a wheelchair, you can only be in a wheelchair a couple hours a day. But when he's doing that, it gives you a new perspective on your life and how you process things. And so I think without MS, not that we're happy about it, but without MS, I think it would have been very different. Yeah. You know, let's talk about your movie, Show Me the Father, which uh, is extraordinary. And I think that every person in the U.S. and abroad needs to see it because to me, the father pain that exists in children's lives around the country and maybe around the globe to me is the single most important problem that we have because so many problems stem from that. Poverty, drugs, gangs, education, you name it. Your movie's a documentary. So this isn't made up and you tell real stories of real people. Can you give us a snippet into what those people's lives look like that you document? Just give us a taste of that. Sure. Uh, We follow five true stories and they're very captivating. We are feature filmmakers, so we wanted it to feel feel like a feature film when you're watching this documentary. So you go on an emotional roller coaster, you get hooked at the beginning and you're following these stories and you're seeing both both positive and painful depictions, true stories of fatherhood and uh, dad's Uh, hurting their kids, abandoning their kids, or being there to rescue their children, to love them, to bless them. We walk through the seven roles that an earthly father plays in the lives of their children, and those actually parallel the roles in scripture that says that God plays in our lives as a father. You know, Jesus said that we should learn to relate to God, not as just this distant creator being, but that we should learn to relate to him as a loving father. It says in Ephesians chapter three, uh, that the fatherhood on earth flows out of the fatherhood of God. He created this role on earth as an introduction to who he is. And so when you look at those roles that dads are supposed to be playing, we don't see it often demonstrated. And a lot of times men have never heard of it. They All they know is I'm supposed to provide, mm-hmm. but they don't realize I'm supposed to be a strong protector, a truthful teacher, a comforting friend, a, a hopeful encourager to my children, um, that all of these different roles that a dad plays really are the same things paralleled in our spiritual lives. So when I realize 
that my earthly father is a faithful provider, it helps me understand when I'm praying to God to not worry because as Jesus said, don't worry, he's going to provide for you. (laughs) If he feeds the birds, he's going to take care of you. If I realize that uh, my father is a truthful, authentic teacher and that wisdom is flowing out of his mouth, it helps me understand God can be trusted in what he communicates because he cannot lie. You know, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's huge, though, for children um, to make that connection with their dads. Research shows us that disappointment in one's earthly father because of absence, uh, mistreatment, oftentimes will lead towards a rejection of God. And that some of the most prominent atheists over the last four centuries, it's been documented that they had dads that abandoned them, abused them, mistreated them. And then they end up shifting over and just saying, well, I can't believe that that God can be trusted either or that he would ever be there for me. And that twisted view of God that came from the abuse of an earthly father has translated into no faith or no desire to want to have faith in God at all. So in this documentary, we're not only following true stories, but we talk about how you can heal your fatherhood story, (laughs) that your earthly father doesn't have to be uh, the end of the game. The woundedness that so many people feel around the world, whether he was home and emotionally disconnected or he abandoned you, you can forgive and you can heal and move on. And God can actually step in your life. The Bible says in Psalms, God is a father to the fatherless and he can heal the wounds that our fathers leave. The last verse in the Old Testament is that God's desire is to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and children to their fathers. Because ultimately, as Jesus said, he can step into our lives and love us where, the, where our earthly father cannot. And that can transform a person's life when they realize that God loves them, which is what happened to our dad. I want to add this too. Most of us get our first concept of what God would be like from our dad. If our dad was loving and present in our life, it's easier for us to believe that God is loving and wants to be present in your life. If your dad was distant or verbally abusive or absent, then you tend to get the concept that God must be distant. He must be uh, absent. He must be angry with me in some kind of way. He doesn't want to be an intimate friend to me or, or, or walk with me through life. So that's where we get our first concept of what God must be like. So that's why uh, if you had a rough upbringing, you have to disassociate the attributes that your, your earthly dad may have had from what God is like. He is perfect. He is loving. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. And so I found that to be true. My my dad found that to be true. And that's where he found his identity. Um, you know, I, I got my first sense of identity from my dad. And most of us do. Uh, how valuable am I? Am I worth spending time with? We get that from our dad. And so it's crucial that we view God for who he is and, and more than just what our dad was like. Well, I love that you are talking really to men on two different levels. And I, and I sure a lot of men out there listening, you're pushing a lot of their buttons and many are feeling very guilty. I'm a terrible father. You know, I made a lot of mistakes and oh no, now I'm blocking my kids from knowing God. 
And yet you're also talking to the young boy in that father mm -hmm. and saying, well, you know, maybe there's these hurts that you had from their, from your father, and maybe those are causing what's happening to you now. So you're really talking about a very complex transformation um, and, you know, work in men, because it includes work when they were kids and, and as adults. And I think that what I have experienced as a woman and talking to a lot of fathers is that fathers in general believe they're not doing a very good job with their kids. They're told that. I mean, right. honestly, our, our culture tells them you're not necessary. People don't need you. And so they feel, feel terrible. So if you were talking or having coffee with five men around your kitchen table and, and you were just chatting, would you find it beneficial to first relate to those men as fathers themselves? Or would you try to talk to them as young boys who experienced pain from their own fathers? Um, if you look at scripture in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are speaking to people individually concerning their own identity. Mm. And it basically is a breakthrough book because the first three chapters explained God the Father loves you. And he has not only loved you, but as you place your faith in his son, Jesus, he adopts you into his family. Now, I have adopted baby girl, so mm -hmm. I've seen the identity transformation that takes place when you adopt someone. Everything about their life changes. And she went from being an unwanted burden in a communist country to now being a beloved blessing in a welcome, loving home where she has the same equal rights to my lap and my heart and my ear. My provision, my protection is my five biological children. Ephesians says that God adopts us into his family and then he forgives us. He loves us. He begins to provide for us. He gives us access to in prayer to him. He has a home in heaven waiting for us. The last three chapters of Ephesians shift gears and they say, therefore, in light of the fact that you are now God's beloved child, and it's speaking to men and women, but it says now, fathers, I want you to love your children. Husbands, I want you to love your wives because you're loved. Hey, I want you to forgive your enemies because God has forgiven you. I want you to speak truth because God has spoken truth to you. I want you to show mercy and compassion and hope to other people because God has shown it to you. So I might begin that conversation by saying, men, you know, how are you feeling? What's going on in your life? What are you stressed about? And then when they express that felt need, I may say, now, listen, let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes. Inside of your heart, you cannot give what you don't have. And you're struggling with blessing your children because you've never received a blessing. <laughs> and you're struggling with loving them because you don't feel loved. Now, let's talk about why. And let's go deal, heal that father wound that you got from your earthly father. And let's let God do a work in your heart and tap into the river of his resources. And then you'll be able to do something for your children that you could never do on your own. I love that. I love that. Because, you know, as a pediatrician, um, I know kids. I know kids so much better and I know what they want from their dads because they talk to me and they tell me. So I think that when you approach a father who's struggling with being a father or with just with life, to talk to him on a very personal level and to speak to his heart and pull him in very personally, then perhaps out of that grows the sense that he can be a great dad. 
Parents, I hope you're enjoying this discussion with Alex and Stephen Kendrick. We need to take a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Talk to us about the relationship between your earthly father and God the Father. Because as you were speaking, I was thinking of some men who say, well, that's nice for you guys to say. Okay, that just rolls off your tongue. You talk about scripture. But let me tell you something. This God thing, um, first of all, I don't like I don't like the word father. And I don't even know if I like the word God. So that's for other people because my dad was so horrific to me. A, nothing's going to change for me. And I'm really not interested in your God. Talk to that man. Well, let me say we made this movie not only to encourage dads, but to help people who've been wounded by their fathers to find healing. And what we're seeing already in the showings, the pre-screenings that we've done of Show Me the Father, is that people feel loved for the first time by God. Mm -hmm. Some people have said, we've even had a security guard in one of the pre-screenings who was there to keep people from pirating the movie. Mm. And she started watching the movie. And afterwards, she said, my father shot me with a gun when I was a kid and I almost died. And she said, I've been so wounded by him. And she said, tonight, I'm realizing that I can heal and move on. Wow. And this, this was transformational for her because um, it, it is a breath of fresh air when you realize I don't have to continue on with the pain and the woundedness and the chains of bitterness that have been wrapped around my heart for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, God uh, has the absolute ability he not only knows your story, but he wants to redeem your story for good. In the movie, Show Me the Father, you see some deep brokenness in some of these people that are sharing, and you see healing taking place, and it's so inspirational. There are twists and turns in this movie. There's laugh-out-loud moments. There's jaw-dropping, unexpected things that happen. But ultimately, at the end, our hope is that people will heal and it's almost like the more you learn about the fatherhood of God, it's like turning on a light bulb in a dark room. Suddenly, everything else becomes more clear, including the way you see yourself in the mirror. Well, and that's why I think this movie is so critical for men and women to see because, you know, if you really want to dig down and figure out what's wrong with you and why you're struggling... So much of it, 90% goes back to those primary relationships of father and child, mother and child. And unless you resolve that, you know, you're going to have a hard time being really good at what you want to be good at. And so that's why I think this movie is so critical, not just to help fathers, but to help everyone understand, as women as well, the impact that our, our dads have on us, um, which is so extraordinary. I would like to ask you, gentlemen, how did we get here? How did we get to um, a state of fatherlessness in our country, which is really ravaging our cities, our neighborhoods, our school? And I, I mean, I believe that if, if we could just get fathers back in the family, mm. so many problems would go away. You know, we wouldn't have gangs. We wouldn't have single moms trying to raise all these kids. You know, just the ripple effect. How did we get here? 
it's hard for me to answer that question and not talk about it from at least somewhat of a spiritual vantage point. We, we have a very real enemy who wants to warp or destroy what God intended. So God created a structure. And so the enemy doesn't want anything to do with that. He wants to rip it down. If he can remove a father and remove that sense of identity, remove that level of protection, that, that teacher, uh, that example, and the father that is meant to be the first example and reflection of God to his children. If he can chop off the head, then it's easier to kill the rest of the, of the structure. And so um, we see that across the landscape where, you know, most commercials show fathers or men in a very negative or goofy or stupid light. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when that happens, the ramifications are far and wide. I'm not saying that it's all just about the father, but I'm saying he's too crucial to leave out of the equation. Um, God has always been a father. He, you know, father means chief, means uh, creator, means provider, protector. And so when you take those out, yes, a mom is crucial. Yes, a mom can have a lot to do with the formation of a child. But if you eliminate the father out of the equation, it's not going to be the same. Um, we first get our sense of being loved and valued from our dads. Not that a mom doesn't have a big part of that. She does. But it comes from the head of the household. God is the head over all creation. He is the father over all creation. And we tend to look toward the people that we believe love us the most. So as a dad, it's for me to love my children in part because when they know I love them, they will listen to me. It's that dad that's absent and then comes in and tries to be harsh or teach us something, even if it's valid. If their heart is closed to him, they will not receive what he's saying. So when I am nurturing and loving my kids, when I'm there as the example before him and I have their heart, they will listen to me. We have an entire generation of people not listening to their dads. They're listening to whoever they believe love them the most, which is usually their professors, their peers, a gang, whatever. They're desperately wanting to be loved by somebody. And those are the people they're listening to. And so the end result is decay and chaos. Mm -hmm. So we need men to step up take their roles in the home, acknowledge the God who gave them that role, cling to him and let God's love for them then be reflected in their love for their wives and their children. You're going to have people listening who um, see life so differently and who are going to listen to you talk and say, wait a minute, you know, uh, I never had a dad or I'm trying to be a father, but I have no idea you know, what it's meant. So the solution is we need to improve our schools. We need to, you know, support single mothers, which of course we do. We do. Um, but we have the answers. And, and for many women, the answer is to get rid of the dad altogether because we know how to raise children and, you know, we don't need fathers. And so you perpetuate that. So when you talk about the importance of fathers in the lives of kids, you know, you're really going against the culture because our culture is taking us in a very different direction. Yes, there's a problem, but the answer is not in families. The answer is not in fathers because that chauvinistic, misogynistic, whatever it is. And this is hard for people to understand. So why is it that, 
improving our schools or getting, um, you know, giving more money to single mothers or, um, you know, working with men in prisons and saying, you know, many are unjustly put in prison. So we need to let some of them out. The social justice movement. Mm -hmm. Why does that not work? So you're dealing with the symptoms more than you're dealing with the root problem. You know, when I take aspirin for a headache, it helps my head feel better. But the reason that I had a headache in the first place may still exist. You know, schools are dealing with a symptom. And yes, you can improve schools to a degree, but that's still not the root issue. You have to go down to the root issue. Um, and so when, when a man understands his accountability to God and he understands the magnitude of his role in influencing and loving his wife and his children, his family will pick up on that. And, and I am accountable to God for my wife and my children. I promise to love her, to protect her, to provide for her. It's not that she's not capable. She certainly is. But part of my uh, assignment from God is to help raise my kids that they know they're loved. And I would even say this, um, all of us have a part of our heart that desperately wants a father to love us, to pour into us, to bless us, to be there for us. And if you didn't have that, you know the pain that is there. And so um, that that was designed to be met a certain way by God. God first wants to meet you where you are and have that relationship. And then he wants to heal those other aspects. And when we don't do it God's way, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. I would uh, add to that. You talk about the statistics, the, the two main reasons that dads are not involved in their kids' lives uh, are first, unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And secondly, divorce. Those two things in our culture right now, since moms are favored in courts to raise children after the um, industrial revolution it shifted from dads being the main providers to moms being the main providers and the main one at home because dad was off at work you know in the factory somewhere and so if you follow the trajectory of what's happened now anytime that a couple splits up yes there are dads who stay involved in the lives of their kids and they absolutely should but overall one of the biggest things that separates dads from their children is either unwed pregnancy or divorce mm-hmm. now we have the courts you know they're, they're basically financially give incentives to uh to young pregnant girls to stay unmarried i know that was not the original intent but that's what's happening mm-hmm. and so People who say, well, I disagree with you. I don't think dads are necessary. Well, then look at what is the common denominator in teen pregnancy and school dropouts, kids that are on drugs, kids that are in gangs, and the the majority of people that are in prison. Let's just from a secular perspective, look at the stats. What is the common denominator that is the feeder stream of all of those things? And the number one thing is fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. It's you basically when the bus driver jumps out of the bus. All the people that are on the bus likely end up in a ditch. Some of them end up pregnant. Some of them end up in jail. Some of them end up on drugs. Some of them end up in prison, you know, or um, dropping out of school or in a gang, those things. So with that in mind, we have to lift up and train the next generation of young men to understand their roles and responsibilities, to embrace the responsibility if they father a child, whether they're married to the mother of that child or not to be heavily involved. And so one of the things we're doing through Show Me the Father is we're being real about here's what's going on. 
uh, you know, here's some positive examples. Here's some negative examples of fatherhood. But let's come back to what are the roles and responsibilities of dads? Where do we go from here? One of our one of the statements our dad used to say to us growing up was start where you are and go forward as fast as you can. And we saw that happen in his life. He forgave his dad, his grandfather for their bad examples. And then he started learning from good men around him and good examples. He started praying, God help me to be a good dad. And he completely changed the direction of our family tree by him stepping in a new direction. He started where he was and he moved forward as fast as he as he could. And he made a lot of mistakes, but he would come to us and be honest. He'd say, I blew it here. Would you forgive me? You know, uh, I don't have it all together here. Would you give me grace and patience? Just like you said, a lot of dads feel like they're failures, but going to your kids and being transparent with them and just admitting, hey, I'm trying to be a good dad to you, but I don't have it all together. I make mistakes. I need your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. And then asking them to forgive you if you can't keep the promise you thought you could have kept because of you know some other factor. When you make a mistake, when you discipline an anger, when you're impatient, and then shifting and saying, you know what? I am going to value this role, value this time that I have with my children and realize that we can't go back in time and redo five years old. You know, <laughs> uh, right. I've got to start where I am and go forward as fast as I can and treat my kids the way that I wished my dad had treated me. And there's instant results. You will see quickly your kids responding when you start affirming, blessing, loving, getting involved in their lives. Oh, kids want it so badly. And, you know, one of the things I will ask people or say to people, they say, well, you know, particularly women, because I'd like to say to the women out there, a lot of us are guilty of pushing dads out of the home. And I talk about women throwing their husbands or throwing the father of their kids in orbit. You know, we let them just sort of be around the house and we complain that they never do anything in the family. And, and then, you know, so we really, you know, keep them out of that. But for those who say women, usually, you know, kids don't need a dad. I got this. I can do it. I would say, well, what did you want from your father? Well, and they'll give you a list of things they wanted, even though they didn't have a dad. So clearly, every single one of us, if we think about ourselves as children, wants dad. We all want that dad. And I agree with you. That's a desire that God puts in each one of us. We only have a couple minutes left, but how does a dad influence a son, the effect on a son differently from a daughter? I have two boys and four girls and my oldest son is 22. My youngest son is 14. And when my 22 year old is a few years ago, I gave him a formal blessing. Uh, I did it in front of the family. And what I, what I did when I, when I formally blessed him, uh, I acknowledged him as a man. I'm the one that calls out the man in my son. Mm -hmm. I acknowledged him as a man. I blessed him as a man. Um, I, I prayed over him and asked the Lord to put his hand on him and bless and guide him. I affirmed him in front of the family, told him I loved him in front of the family gave him a memento uh, to remember that day. And my, my desire was to fill his tank of identity, fill his tank of affirmation, fill his tank of as he, it was, as he was stepping into manhood, he had my full support 
and my guidance and my prayers and my help. And so uh, when I did it for my oldest daughter, I gave her a ring and I, I said, even though I'm your dad, I want to affirm and call you into womanhood to be all that God has called you to be. I told her she was beautiful to me, that she, I called out all of her attributes that I admired and I loved, and I prayed a blessing over her as well, telling her that she was loved, she was precious, she was beautiful to me. And I, uh, I said that to her, you know, and then in front of the family, when we got back, I affirmed her in front of the family that she would be full. Her tank would be full from her dad Mm -hmm. and that she hears it from me before some guy that's trying to win her heart over. And so, and I've noticed when I do that, when they know I love them, they listen to me, they come to me with problems. They ask me for prayer, all, all those things. So I did handle it somewhat differently, but ultimately my kids want to know I love them, that I bless them, that I believe in them that I'm there for him, just as my God is there for me through Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want to reflect those attributes of God to my kid. Yes, I'm human. Yes, I can make, um, you know, yes, I can fall, but I, it's my job to get right back up and love my kids, love my wife, and, and that they would do the same thing for the next generation. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so beautiful. And as I think back, because my dad did a similar thing with me, doesn't take a lot of time. Um, when a father communicates those things to a daughter or a son, they stick and they allow that child when they grow up to fly. Yes. You know, it, you don't have to have a PhD in psychology. You don't have to have all your everything put together. You can even lose your temper here and there. But when you give that to a child, you know, you solidify the root of that child. And I think that is so, so beautiful. When is the movie release date? Uh, Show Me the Father is coming out September the 10th across the U.S. It's international in Latin America, countries, Mexico, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And uh, so they should be able to find a place near them that is showing the movie. If you go to showmethefathermovie.com, you can see showtimes. And we would encourage, it's really for everybody. Little girls like this movie. Uh, women, moms like this movie, uh, football players like the movie. It really has a message for everybody, and it will uh, take you on a roller coaster and leave you feeling inspired and encouraged. Well, I have so appreciated our interview. Um, I will tell you the truth. I've been kind of on the verge of tears the whole time because what you're saying is true. And I've lived a lot of what you're uh, talking about as well. So I um, I can't wait to see people's responses to show me the father. And again, you know, it isn't all about whether you have a relationship with God now or whether you don't. It's a critical important because it touches the heart of every single person out there. Alex and Stephen Kendrick, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. God bless you. And I hope that millions and millions of people watch your movie and it becomes just a tremendous sensation around the world. Well, God bless you. you. Great to talk to you as well. Yes. Thank you, Meg. So now onto my points to ponder. One, Support a father that you know. You know, we've gotten so jaded by media and things that we read and see and learn about fathers. Be intentional about complimenting a dad you know. Believe it or not, many fathers 
feels insecure about the job they're doing. So many times they come up to me after a lecture and say, Dr. Meeker, I know I'm not doing a very good job, but, and I say, hold on, what do you mean you know you're not doing a very good job? We need to encourage them rather than put them down if we want them to be better and better dads. Two, ponder your own bias. You know, most of us have subconsciously become biased against dads. Our thoughts are more negative than they should be. Mine are, or we simply think that it's okay to laugh at dads and accept them as buffoons when we watch movies or advertisements. This is not okay. So as you go about your day, pay attention to how you react to depictions of fathers. Do you have a negative reaction or a positive one? If you do find that you're negative, make a conscious effort to change that. Three, fathers. Stand up for yourselves. Most men hear criticism and let it pass. They don't want to argue or feel they simply can't change the way people talk or feel about them. Women have long fought against those who have demeaned them or treated them as though they're incapable of doing many things. Men now need to do the same thing. Refuse to stand by and watch others put you down, see you as useless or stupid. When it comes to raising kids, dads are critical and we cannot allow kids to see that dads are not critical and that dads are dispensable. Every good study shows that without a dad, kids get into drugs, alcohol, drop out of school, are more likely to suffer depression, anxiety, and even commit suicide. Across all areas of their lives, kids who don't have dads suffer far more than kids who have a father in the home. I want to thank my guests, Alex and Stephen Kendrick, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about them, go to KendrickBrothers.com. That's K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K Brothers. Com. Be sure to follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the Kendrick Brothers in your internet browser. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, support a father that you know. Two, ponder your own bias. And three, fathers, stand up for yourselves. And remember, check out meekerparenting.com and sign up for my private online PGK community. I'd love to meet you, and I know you'll love being part of the community. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. Not born.